Thank you so much, Salomón Marlene, for reading the scripture. Gracias a Salomón y Marlene por haber leído la escritura hoy. I am so grateful again for the participation of God's people, and uh, it's great to be back at this time as we're in this series uh, called Here Come the Judges, the fourth message in this series. Es el cuarto mensaje de esta serie, Aquí Vienen los Jueces. And today we're looking at a man by the name of Gideon. Now, if you've grown up in the church, if you were in Sunday school, you may have at some point along the way heard about Gideon. Si has estado en la escuela dominicana, mejor sabes algo de Gideon. In fact, right now, our, our Spanish-speaking women on Wednesday nights, they're studying Gideon together. Las mujeres en español están estudiando Gideon juntos. And Gideon is quite the story. It's the story kind of of the little guy who becomes a big guy by the help of God. Es un hombre que es chiquito, pequeño, que se hace grande con la ayuda de Dios. And so I want to look at this because it really starts a couple chapters before. We go back to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Jueces, capítulo 6, versículo 1. And there we, again, are going to see Israel doing the same thing. Israel's falling into the downward spin cycle. Está cayendo Israel en el ciclo descendente. And it simply says there, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Los Israelitas hicieron lo que ofende al Señor y los entregó en manos de los Madianitas durante siete años. So what do we see again? Sin, right? El pecado. And what does sin lead to? Slavery. El pecado les lleva a esclavitud. This time they are sold into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were kind of a group of raiders. Eran invasores. And if you read on, you see that what the Midianites did was that they, they began to come into the land. They, they, it says they were like a swarm of locusts. Eran como, como langosas que acamparon en, en la tierra. And they come in. They, they start to ravage and ruin Israel's crops. They pick off their herds and start to, to kind of glean from them. Empiezan a arruinar las cosechas y, y matar los rebaños. And the Israelites have to run for the hills. The Israelites are hiding in caves in different parts of the land. Los Israelitas están escondidos en cuevas. And it's here that in chapter 6, verse 6, it says... Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Era tal la miseria de los Israelitas que por causa de los Madianitas clamaron al Señor pidiendo ayuda. So there's that part of the cycle again. They're at their low point. They cry out to God, claman al Señor, and here comes the judge, right? Actually, here comes the angel of the Lord. Aquí viene el ángel del Señor. God sends a messenger to this man named Gideon, Dios envía su ángel Gedeón. And where is Gideon at this point? Well, it's interesting. Gideon is, it says, threshing wheat inside of a wine press. Está trillando trigo en un lagar. In, in other words, he's in a pit, he's in a hole, and he's trying to harvest some wheat for food. Está trillando trigo para comida en, en un hoyo. In other words, he's hiding out. He's scared spitless. He's, he's cowering in a corner. Está como cobarde, escondiéndose. He doesn't want to be detected. And, and yet, even though he's shivering and quaking in his boots, this angel comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. El Señor está contigo, guerrero valiente, dice el ángel. In other words, you're the guy that's going to fix this. And Gideon is like, me? I'm the guy who gets sand kicked in his face at the beach. I'm just a little guy. Yo soy débil. 
In fact, in chapter 6, verse 15, he says, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Dice, ¿cómo voy a salvar Israel? Mi clan es el más débil de la tribu de Manasés y soy el más insignificante de mi familia. In other words, he's saying, I'm just a little guy. I, I, I'm the, you know, the weakest part of the weakest family of one of the weakest tribes. Soy de la familia más débil de la tribu, más débil. How is this going to work out? In fact, Gideon has his doubts. And so God allows him to test the whole situation. He allows Gideon to put out a fleece, and that's the story we often know. Permite que Gedeon pone un bellón. He, he puts out this fleece. God makes the fleece dry when it should be wet, and he makes it wet when it should be dry. Hace bellón seco cuando debe estar mojado, mojado cuando debe estar seco. And it confirms that, yeah, Gideon, you're the guy. And so Gideon assembles the armies of Israel, congrega los ejércitos de Israel, and he has thousands of troops. This sounds good. Tiene miles de tropas. But God has a different plan. God's plan is not to give Gideon more. Él no le da a Gideon más. He doesn't give him more troops, more weapons, more power. No le da más armas y soldados. God's plan is actually to give Gideon less. Dios le da menos. And so there's this amazing whittling process where he reduces the thousands down to just 300 men. That's the army he's going to work with. Reduce el ejército a 300 hombres. And these men do not have cannons and rifles and all of that. All they have for weapons are clay pots, trumpets, and torches. Solo tienen vasijas de barro, trompetas, y antorchas. That's it. But with God, that's enough. And so the story goes, the 300 men surround the Midianite camp, rodean el campamento de Madian in the middle of the night, in la madrugada, and at the Lord's command, they break the clay pots, they play the trumpets, they shine the torches, rompen las vasijas de barro, toquen las trompetas, y también brillan las antorchas, and then they shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, una espada para el Señor y Gedeón. And what happens next is amazing. The Midianites are scared out of their wits. They scatter like cockroaches. Los Madianitas se dispersan como cucarachas. And Gideon and the army gain a great victory. Hay una gran victoria. It's, it's quite the story. It's a story of faith, of great faith. Es una historia de la fe. In fact, if you go to the New Testament book of Hebrews uh, at chapter 11, there's what we might call the Hall of Fame of Faith. And Gideon's in that list of someone who showed great faith. He's a hero of the faith. But here's the thing we need to understand about Gideon. Tenemos que comprender esto. Just because Gideon was a hero in this situation doesn't mean that Gideon's life was worth imitating. Sin embargo, su vida no era digna de imitar. That's important to understand. Because very soon after this great victory, Gideon the hero becomes Gideon the anti-hero. El héroe se hace anti-héroe. He becomes the example of what not to do. Es el ejemplo de que no hace. And that starts with the reading that we had today from Judges chapter 8, verse 4. Comienza con versículo 4, capítulo 8. It says there, 
that Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan River and crossed it. Gideon y sus 300 hombres, agotados pero persistiendo en la persecución, llegaron al Jordán y lo cruzaron. So, get the picture here. They've scattered the Midianites, but then, with 300 men, they said, let's keep going. Siguen con los 300 hombres. Now, this is significant because if you look at Judges 8.10, it says that there were 15,000 Midianites. Hubo 1,500 o más bien 15,000 Midianitas. So you've got 300 men going after 15,000. That's bold. That's courageous. That's brave. 300 persiguiendo a 15,000 es algo valiente. But at some point, very quickly in this process, Gideon's bravery begins to cross a line. Él empieza a cruzar una línea con su valentía. It begins in chapter 8, verse 5, where he comes to this place called Succoth, this town. Llega al pueblo de Sukkot, and he says to the people, give, me, uh, give my troops some bread. They're worn out. They're still, we're still pursuing Ziba and Zalumna, the kings of Midian. And he said, denles pan a mis soldados, están agotados y todavía están, uh, estamos persiguiendo a Seba y Zalumna, los reyes de Madian. So he comes, he says, we need some food. And the people of Succoth, they don't really know who Gideon is. Uh, he's a regional leader from another part, maybe. No saben quién es, and so they're hesitant. Están renuentes. They say, we don't know who you are. I mean, we don't know your track record. I mean, come back when you're successful. We'll give you some bread. But right now, no. No te vamos a dar pan hasta que tengas éxito. Well, Gideon's not happy with that. And in verse 6, he says this. He's, or verse 7, he says, just for that. Just for your attitude, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalumna into my hands, I will come back and tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. In other words, I'm going to beat you up. Dice, uh, uh, como han contestado así, uh, dice, cuando el Señor haya entregado mis manos a Zeba Zalumna, les descarré a ustedes la carne con espinas y zarzas. Es cierto. That's some pretty big talk. And then he goes on to another town called Peniel. And he does the same thing. He says, hey, we need some bread. Would you help us out? And the people of the town basically say the same thing. Sorry, guy, we don't know you. You know, uh, uh, we're not going to give you any bread. No te vamos a dar pan, le dicen a Gedeon. And Gideon's response there in chapter 8, verse 9 is, all right, if that's your attitude, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. Dice, cuando yo vuelva victorioso, derribaré esta torre. See what's happening here? Somehow, bravery has crossed the line. And Gideon's not just being brave. He's becoming a bully. Se está siendo abusador. And guess what happens? Well, when he has success, he does capture the two kings. He, he has success. He comes back. Después él tiene éxito. God gives him the power to beat these two kings. And in chapter 8, verse 16, it says this. He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. Dice, se apoderó de los ancianos de la ciudad, tomó espinos y zarza de desierto y castigando con ellos los hombres de Sukkot, les enseñó quién era él. He beat them up. And then, verse 17 says this, uh, He also pulled down the tower of Peniel 
and killed the men of the town. También derribó la torre de Peniel y mató a los hombres de la ciudad. Look what he's doing. Gideon, the, the, the mild-mannered guy, is now threatening to break things and beat people up. And that's what he does. Amenaza con quebrar, romper las cosas y, y golpear a la gente. Eso es lo que hace. And not only that, he not only does what he said he was going to do in, in, in abusing these people and in breaking their stuff, he kills. He kills some of the men from Peniel. El mata a los hombres de Peniel. So what's going on here? ¿Qué pasa aquí? Gideon, he was nothing. He was the weakest link of the weakest family, one of the weakest tribes in all of Israel. Gideon no era nada, era el más débil. And with the help of God, Gideon, who was less, became more. El que era menos se hizo más. He became, he became strong. He, he became more powerful, more successful, more confident, more victorious, and more prideful too. Se hizo más confiado, más exitoso, más orgulloso. In other words, Gideon, the hero who used the power of God to save his people, started to become Gideon, the anti-hero who was using power to abuse people. Él usaba antes el poder para salvar y ahora para abusar. And the crazy thing about this is, get this, the Israelites actually liked it. The Israelites thought this was cool. Los israelitas a ellos les gustó esto. They come to Gideon in chapter 8, verse 22, and it says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you've saved us out of the hand of Midian. Llegaron y dijeron, Gobierno, gobierna sobre nosotros después de ti, tu hijo, tu nieto, porque nos has librado del poder de los Madianitas. So the rest of the Israelites, certainly not the ones from Succoth and Peniel, but they come and they say, Hey, Gideon, we like, you know, we like your bravado. We like your your style, you know, you, you know how to, you know, kick people around. Uh, be our king. Que tú seas nuestro rey. We can start a dynasty. We can have you and then your son and then your grandson. It'll be great. Vas a ser el rey tú, tu hijo, tu nieto. And here where what we see is that Gideon, to his credit, says, mm, no. He, he kind of plays the humble card. Gedeon dice que no, se muestra humilde. In verse 23, he says to them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Yo no los gobernaré, ni tampoco mi hijo. Solo el Señor los gobernará. Good answer, Gideon. That's the way it's supposed to be. God's the king. But that doesn't last very long. Eso no dura. Because in the very next verse, Gideon begins to smell an opportunity. And he says to them, I, I do have a little request here. I do have one thing to ask of you, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. Pero tengo una petición que cada uno de ustedes me dé un anillo de lo que les tocó del botín. Hmm. I don't want to be king, see, but I just want a little bit of compensation for the cool thing that I did. Quiero una recompensa por lo que hicieron. And the Israelites, hey, no problem. 
They give him their gold earrings, le dan los anillos de oro. Gideon brings it together. It says it's 43 pounds worth. Él tiene como 20 kilogramos de oro. What happens? Judges 8:27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. It became a trap. Con el oro Gedeón hizo un efol que, eh, que puso en Ofra su ciudad, y todo Israel se prostituyó al adorar allí el efol, el cual se convirtió en una trampa para Gedeón y su familia. So he takes all that gold, melts it down, makes an idol, sets it up, worships it, and then gets Israel to do the same. Hace un ídolo y atrae Israel a adorarlo. And what do we see? They're right back in the spin cycle. Israel falls right back in the hole they were in before. Israel cae en la trampa donde estaban antes. Notice the progression here. Vean la progresión. This weak man becomes a mighty man with the help and the power of God. El hombre débil se hace fuerte con el poder de Dios. But once he, he feels that power, he begins to make it his own. And then he begins to run away with it. Se hace apropia su, su poder y, y, y empieza a usarlo. And he begins to use that power in ways for which it was never intended. And so what do we see? Gideon, the quiet guy, becomes Gideon, the big bully. He becomes Gideon, the, the greedy dictator. He becomes Gideon, the idol worship, uh, worshiper, and God is, is gone. God's out of the picture. Se hace el matón, el abusador, el, el dictador, uh, dictador avaro, y el idolatra. And when Gideon dies, doesn't get any better. Cuando muere, no se, se, se mejora la cosa. In fact, it says that after Gideon's death, his son Abimelech came along. And the first thing Abimelech does is to act the part of the bully. He kills off 70 of his brothers. Su hijo Abimelech mata 70 de sus hermanos. And what does he do? He sets himself up as king. The one thing Gideon said he wouldn't do. Se hace rey. Now, Here's the thing. The name Abimelech in Hebrew, you know what it means? Abimelech tiene un sentido muy interesante. The name Abimelech means my father is king. Mi padre es rey. Who gave Abimelech his name? Gideon. Gideon named his son my father is king. So what does that say about the way Gideon saw himself? I'm the king. Nombra a su hijo, mi padre es rey. Gedeón se vio como rey. And so he was acting like a king. And his son acts like a king. Like father, like son. And so what we see here in Judges chapter 8 is really portrayed for us something that British Lord Acton said about 200 years ago. Vemos aquí lo que dijo el señor británico Acton hace 200 años. He said a phrase, a quote that perhaps you've heard before. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. El poder tiende a corromper, el poder absoluto corrompe absolutamente. 
Gideon is a prime example of how intoxicating power can be. Because what Gideon does with power is he forgets why he has it and where it comes from. El poder es muy intoxicante, nos muestra Gedeón. Gideon's power came from God. And it was to be used to, to save people and to bless people and to help people. Él iba a usar su poder para salvar y ayudar y sanar. But instead of that, somewhere along the way, that power went to his head and he began to use that same power to abuse people and to bless himself. Usaba el poder para abusar de la gente y bendecir a sí mismo. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power is going to corrupt absolutely. El poder absoluto corrompe absolutamente. There's another uh, very uh, well-known philosopher from a couple hundred years ago, about 150 years ago, by the name of Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher. El filósofo Nietzsche dijo algo muy importante. He said something very important. He said, when society thinks that God is dead, when society gets rid of God as the absolute power, what's left in the vacuum is what he called the will to power. Cuando la sociedad se olvida de Dios, del poder absoluto, lo que ellos tienen es el deseo de poder. What is he saying? He's saying that when a society, a culture, takes God out of the picture, takes God's absolute power out of the picture, it's a free-for-all. Everybody has a lust for power, for absolute power. Cuando se quita a Dios el poder absoluto, todos quieren, tienen un deseo abusador del poder. Might makes right, and there is a competition for that power. La fuerza es lo que es justo, y hay una competencia. And it's sad to say that I think this is what we're seeing in our day and age. This is what's going on in our world right now. I don't think there's even a debate that we're living in a society that is basically saying we don't care about God. God is dead to us. We're forgetting about God. We don't want an absolute power over us. La sociedad dice, Dios está muerto. No queremos ningún poder absoluto. And what has that done? It's created a vacuum. And now what we have are power groups. It's called tribalism. Se trata el tribalismo, different groups uh, uh, jockeying for power. And in our day and age, what is admired? The strongest arm and the loudest voice. That's what's admired. El brazo más fuerte, la voz más feroz, se admiran. And so what we have are different groups of people, even on social media and different places, instead of talking together. Instead of sharing and helping and collaborating and working and you know, exchanging opinions, en vez de colaborar, dialogar, instead of that kind of, of getting give and take, what we have are people that are trying to shout each other down. And the loudest voice is going to win. La gente quiere gritar más fuerte que el otro lado. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power is going to corrupt absolutely. El poder absoluto corrompe absolutamente. And on this 4th of July weekend, I think we need to pray. 
I say this with all my heart, we need to pray for this country and for our world because there are, there are battles for power going on right now. Tenemos que orar por este mundo. And we need God. And yet, society has said, we don't need God. Ocupamos a Dios. But you see, God has a different plan. God has a better plan. He always does. And he outlines that plan. We find that plan in the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 2, Filipenses 2, 5, it says your attitude, your mindset, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. La actitud de ustedes debe ser como la de Cristo Jesús. And it says that Jesus was in very nature God. And yet he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Siendo por naturaleza Dios, Jesús no consideró el ser igual a Dios como algo a que aferrarse. Se rebajó voluntariamente, tomó la naturaleza de siervo y se hace semejante a los hombres. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Al manifestarse como, como hombre, se humilló a sí mismo, se hizo obediente hasta la muerte de la cruz. What's this saying? Jesus takes a different track. Gideon was weak. Gideon was less, and by God's power, he became more. Gedeon era menos, Dios lo hizo más. But get this. Jesus was more. That's how he began. Cristo comenzó siendo más. He was the most. He was in his very nature God. Tenía por naturaleza que era Dios. And he was equal to God. He had all power, all authority, all glory was his. Toda la gloria, el poder, la autoridad pertenecían a él. Jesus could truly say, unlike Abimelech, Jesus could truly say, hey, my father is the king. Mi padre es el rey, decía Jesús. Podía decir eso. And yet, what do we see? Where Gideon, the one who was more, or was less, became more, and grabbed on to power, and wouldn't let it go. Gedeon no quería soltar el poder. Jesus, who was more, let go of his power. And he came down in weakness. He who was more the most became the least. Se hizo menos. He went all the way down to carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders and dying the most shameful death ever, the most torturous death ever, death on the cross. Se bajó, rebajó voluntariamente, llevando los pecados del mundo hasta muerte vergonzosa de la cruz. And so what is God's plan? God's plan was to take the one who was more and make him less so that he could raise him up again. And at the name of Jesus, God says, now one day every knee is going to bow before this Jesus and recognize you're the absolute power. Algún día toda rodilla se doblará ante él y decir, tú eres el poder absoluto. You see, whereas Gideon tried to hold on to power. That's what the leaders of this world do. The leaders in our day and age are grabbing after power and trying to hold on to it. Los líderes quieren aferrarse al poder para, para no soltarlo. Jesus surrenders his power. He becomes less. Why? So that we can become more. 
so we can become children of God. Para que seamos hijos de Dios. And so unlike Gideon, Jesus shows us that when we surrender power, when we let go of power and we become less, we actually become more. Cuando rendimos el poder, nosotros nos hacemos más. We become children of God. We can say truly, hey, my father is the king. Mi padre es el rey. In fact, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus talked about this. He said, blessed are the meek. They are going to inherit the earth. Dichosos los humildes, dice Jesús en Mateo 5, 5. Van a recibir la, la tierra como herencia. The meek are going to rule, Jesus says. What is it to be meek? Well, meekness is not weakness. Ser humilde no es ser débil. Meekness, rather, is to have great power. But it is not acting out of that power. It is power with gentleness. Meekness is really to become more powerful, not by exercising raw power, but by trusting in God. Ser humilde es, que, es hacerse uno más poderoso, no ejercitando el poder absoluto, sino confiando en Dios. Because when we model meekness, when we model gentleness, letting go of power, we show who Jesus is. Mostramos quien es Jesús. So here's my question in this, this time when there is so, much, so many power struggles going on in our culture. How can we who are followers of Jesus Christ shout softly? ¿Cómo podemos gritar pero en voz suave? How can we, with meekness, show the love of Jesus to care for people who are hurting, to care for people who are in need, who are lonely and hurt? ¿Cómo podemos mostrar el amor de Jesús? We can't do everything, but we can do something. No podemos hacer todo, pero podemos hacer algo. And together, we can model the meekness of Christ. To love in that way. You see, power corrupts. But when Jesus Christ is the absolute power of our lives, He doesn't corrupt. He transforms us. Cuando Jesús es el poder absoluto, no nos corrompe, nos transforma. And that's good. So what I'd like to do here is I'd like to pray with you. And uh, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that's all about recognizing who has absolute power and authority. It's about recognizing God. Esta oración reconoce quién es Dios, su poder absoluto en nuestra vida. So what I'd like to do is invite you where you are to stand up. We will probably have this on the screen for you. And I'm going to pray first in English and then in Spanish. I invite you to pray along. Voy a orar en inglés primero, después en español. Les invito a que oren conmigo. Let's pray together. Vamos a orar juntos. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, for, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad como en el cielo, así también en la tierra. El pan nuestro de cada día, dánoslo hoy. Y perdónanos nuestras deudas, como también perdonamos a nuestros deudores. Y no nos dejes caer en tentación, mas líbranos del mal, porque tuyo es el reino y el poder y la gloria por los siglos de los siglos. Amén.